few weeks ago, I went up to Alan Howard's house, and he and I went out and we cut wood, cut down an ash tree and loaded it up in a truck, and I brought it home. And I've been working through this pile of these blocks of ash, trying to get them split. And I got down to about the last eight, and the last eight are the ones that I cannot get split. I have a, what's called a go-devil or a splitting mall. In New York, we call them go-devils. And, uh, you know, I've been swinging and swinging, and I cannot get them. So I finally went to the hardware store this week, and I bought a wedge. You know, it's not a manly thing to have to use a wedge. But I lowered my, humi- my pride and got humility, like I've been preaching. I went and got a wedge, and I came back. I can't even get the wedge started in these blocks of wood. They are so green. They're so full of water, still full of life. I can't get them split. I could do, I guess, what Paul Harrison does. This is no lie. Paul takes his backhoe. That's what he uses to split wood. He takes a bucket and just hydraulically splits it. But I can't do that because I don't have a backhoe. So finally, this week, in the midst of trying to get these blocks of wood split, it finally dawned on me that that's a fitting metaphor for the book of James. Did you realize that there's 54 Greek imperatives in the book of James? And every imperative is a command. And every command is a swing from James to try to break the hardened hearts of the early church. Because there's teachers who were teaching because they wanted power. They wanted to have the the thrill of influence. And so they were getting into teaching positions in an unqualified way in order to get out of the social mire of the bottom class in order to be able to rise up on the rungs of their society. There were people that were that were slandering and gossiping and, and divisions in the church. And James is taking his redemptive acts and he keeps swinging. You know what? Some of you, if you've been in this series, you might be getting tired of that axe. Might be getting a little hard. This is what James is doing. He is getting through to our hearts. Did you know that James is what's called a moral theologian? Not a moralist person. Here's a moralist. You ready? A moralist is someone who says, if I do the right things, I will become righteous. That's a moralist. A moral theologian is, if I become righteous, I will do the right things. So James is swinging his axe to try to split apart our hearts so that the truth of God can come down to our hearts and change us. And that's his whole goal of his letter. It's to mature people in Christ so that we live out our faith. That's why it's called the Faith That Lives series. Friends, listen, our world's in need of peace. And they must find that peace in the church of Jesus Christ. It's no coincidence that James has commanded us to be humble before the Lord. We've been learning how to put to death our pride, how to purify our hearts, and how to move toward each other in peace. We've been learning that. And now he shows us what damage pride can do both to the body of Christ as well as the one who has elevated himself. You see, the church was in division. James is writing to try to correct this. They are filled with strife. And listen, you ready? And their witness to their community 
was muted. Friends, have you been in a church filled with strife? I have. The first church I've pastored. I didn't realize all the history of that church before I got there. And they had a mass exodus of people. And a church that's filled with strife cannot have a redemptive witness in their community. It's impossible. So James is writing to correct this. They were slandering one another, and James is swinging the axe. What do we see? He swings it three times in this passage. James chapter 4, verses 11 and 2. Here's the passage. Read it with me if you would. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Three swings. Here's the first. And he's going to help us see slander from a new perspective. Here it is. Do you really see Do you really see the person that you're slandering? Now, let's have a foundational principle here. Let's just admit to something if we can. If you have the humility to be able to agree with me on this, let's just admit right from the outset, every one of us slanders periodically. Are you with me on that? Now, I ask that question on purpose because I know people who think they don't. Wow, they're slandering in a conversation with me. All of us struggle with slander. Brothers, he says, do not slander one another. Do you really see the person that you're slandering? James has finally returned. He's been absent for a while from this word brothers, but he's finally back to beginning paragraphs by the word brothers. We're the family of God, he says. These are spiritual relatives in the redeemed community of God. The world is constantly tempting us, he's taught. The devil is trying to always separate us from one another. And our flesh wants to battle for our own desires. But through all of this, we are still family. That person that you're slandering is a brother. That person's a sister with whom you will spend all eternity. What a perspective change. Do you really see the person that you're slandering? Do you see that he or she has been set free from sin? Do you see that God himself has pronounced that person righteous and innocent and no longer under the guilt that they had and and in his sight holy? Do you see the person that you're slandering? Do we see him or do we see her the way that God does? Friends, when we forget that that person that we are running down through our speech is a brother or sister in the family of God, when we forget that, it paves the way to slander. But James, you know what? He swung and the axe bounced like he's been doing with me the last couple of weeks. So he swings it again. He puts a little more force into it. Number two, do you really see the seriousness of slander? You know, Gandhi rejected Christianity 
And his rejection of Christianity grew out of an incident that happened when he was a young man practicing law in South Africa. See, he had become attracted to the Christian faith. He had studied the Bible. He had studied the teachings of Jesus. And he was seriously exploring becoming a Christian. And so Gandhi decides, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to see this for myself. And as he came up the steps of the large church where he intended to go, a white South African elder of the church barred his way at the door and he said, where do you think you're going, Kaffir? It's an ethnic slur. The man asked Gandhi in a belligerent tone of voice and Gandhi replied, I'd like to attend worship here. And the church elder snarled at him. There's no room for Kaffirs in this church. Get out of here or I'll have my assistants throw you down the steps. And from that moment, Gandhi said he decided to adopt what good he found in Christianity, but he would never, ever again consider becoming Christian if it meant being part of the church. Friends, do you really see the seriousness of slander? James says, anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him, verse, verse 11, who speaks against his, his brother or judges him, speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but you're sitting in judgment on it. You see, slander is a vicious sin. It's one that's particularly lethal to peace. In fact, the word, the phrase speaks against literally means, you ready? Write this down if you can. Literally means to speak ill of another. So when I slander you, whether it's through a phone call, whether it's through face-to-face, -face, whether it's through a letter or an email, when I slander you, I am speaking ill to you. It's to defame another human being. It's to speak down about them. Slander means to be harshly critical or it means to find their faults. It's a language that condemns other people. It is pounding the gavel and declaring their guilt. That's what all that word means, slander. It means to sit in the seat that a judge sits in and lord it over another with superiority as you pronounce their sentence of guilt. That's what it means to slander. A lot of us never have seen it this way. We know it's wrong. We know we shouldn't speak ill about another human being. But not any of, most of us do not look at it as me wanting to lord it over that person and pronounce their guilt. Friends, slander is vicious and it darkens Christian community. Galatians 5.15 says, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Do you remember from last week, James had just called us to be serious about the sin in our lives. Do not be casual. Do not take a casual view about the sin in our lives, but to be serious about it. And it's no coincidence that he immediately confronted this pervasive and destructive sin of slander. He's showing how serious it is to condemn a fellow human being, much less or much more rather, a brother or sister in Christ. Now listen, by the way, if you're getting defensive, just remember, I've been staring at this mirror all week. And you know what? I've slandered. And I believe you have too. At some point in your life. And I'm hearing this 
and it's not fun. So don't get defensive. Let, let James swing. Let you, let you receive this humbly. You know what? He's showing how serious this is. And most Christians would not willingly, and I, this is you, you wouldn't willingly make false accusations against another's reputation. Probably nobody in here would do that. But many think that it's okay for me to convey negative information about another person. Listen, if it's true, this becomes a license to righteously diminish another's reputation. James is telling us to refrain from any speech. This is what he's saying, friends. It is so simple. He's saying refrain from any speech which intends to run down another human being even if it's totally true. Slander, gossip, judgmentalism, critical spirits, it comes from a heart that thinks himself to be more righteous than the other person and feels the freedom to pronounce that person's guilt. That's what it means to slander. Sometimes it's the moral compulsion to find guilt. It's my job to expose that person's sin. Our ears, friends, could be as guilty as our tongues. Don't we love it when people speak gossip? Don't you lean forward a little bit in your seat when all of a sudden they want to start slandering somebody that you think ill about? You know, Ken Blanchard said this. He said, gossip is what we say behind someone's back that we would never say to their face. While flattery is what you say to someone's face that you would never say behind their back. Friends. We're all in this together. We're a family of God. Why do we slander? Ask yourself that question. Why do we slander? Some do so out of revenge. They were hurt. They were slighted by someone. So they damaged the other person by running them down to another. Others slander for them is propaganda. It recruits sympathizers. So that they join in with our hurt, our hurt feelings and makes us legitimate in what we're saying. Some people, they have an overdeveloped sense of self-righteousness. It's my job to tell them the truth because if I don't tell them the truth about themselves, they'll never change. Still others like the Pharisees slandered in order to elevate themselves. Luke 18, 11 says the Pharisees stood up. And he prayed about himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, the dregs of society, or even like this tax collector. You see, in order to slander, you've got to climb up in a prideful, arrogant, elevated position in order to look down and pronounce judgment. You know, after the first service, I had three people come up to me and says, Pastor Tim, how, they asked me, Pastor Tim, how do you know the difference between constructive criticism and slander? Let me sum this up very easily. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouths, but only such a word is as good for building others up according to the need of the moment that it may give grace to those who hear. That's, that's Ephesians 4.29. When you hold that intention with James 4.11, then you find out pretty quickly 
that when I humble myself in order to build others up, that's constructive. And when I elevate myself to tear others down, that's slander. James is trying to extinguish the slandering tongue. And he says, don't slander. Don't judge. And some people want to say, well, didn't Jesus tell us to judge? What's he mean? Matthew 7, 1, he says, do not judge or you too will be judged. But then we hold this intention because later in the same chapter, he says, watch out for false prophets. By their fruit, you will recognize them. There's a discernment. There's a judging that is discerning the heart of another person. And then Jesus says later in that very chapter, stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. So James isn't trying to extinguish judging He's swinging his axe and trying to get judgmentalism out of the church. It's judgmentalism that he's referring to. It's a sin that is so particularly heinous because slander speaks against a brother or sister. And friends, listen, it speaks against the law of God. Here's what he says. Anyone who speaks against his brother, verse 11, or judges him, speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. What does that mean? You know, for a long time, this puzzled me. James's point is that to slander is to judge, but not just the person, also the, the law of God. What is the law of God? Scripture always answers Scripture. When you come to a point and you don't understand what the Word of God means, the Word of God will answer the Word of God. Find it. Search it. Chapter 2, verse 8 in James. He says, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. So what is the law of God? It is to love your neighbor as yourself. It is to set ourselves above and outside the law of God when we judge other people. In other words, let me say that again. When I judge another person, when I slander another person, I'm setting myself above and outside the word of God. To slander is to function in a way that the, you believe that the law of God is irrelevant for you. It's invalid for you. Are you beginning to understand why slander breaks peace? Why he's chosen to address it right on the heels of his 10 steps to becoming a peacemaker. Friends, James is inspired by God to write what has the power to deliver us from a casual view of slander and judgmentalism. But guess what? He just swung the axe and he got a crack. He heard it pop. But like the wood I'm dealing with, you've got to get that axe almost all the way to the bottom before it splits. He swings it again, number three. Do you really see the extent of slander? Do you really see the extent of slander? I wish I could tell you that James is done swinging, but he's not. Because like any disease, treatment has to run its entire course or the disease can return. It's not enough to be reminded that you and I were brothers and sisters in Christ, were made righteous by the blood of Christ. It's not enough to know that slandering is passing judgment on another human being in order to bring them down and elevate you to a position of judgment. But it's also putting yourself above the law of God if it applies to everyone, but not yourself. This is how bad slander is. But slandering is even worse. Speaking ill of another human being, being judgmental is even far more terrible than this. Why? Because look what he says in verse 12. There's only one lawgiver and judge. 
the one who is able to save and destroy, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? See, James is saying that a judgmental person sets himself not only above the person, not only above and outside the law of God, but he sets himself above God. One rabbi said, he who slanders another thereby slanders God. Now, this might not be immediately apparent to us, so James has to open our eyes to this truth. He echoes what the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 33, For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, it is he who will save us. The lawgiver means this. You ready? Here's what it means, the, the word lawgiver. It's only used here in the New Testament, and it means one who puts a law in place. That's a lawgiver, one who puts a law in place. But a judge has a different role. A judge takes that law that's in place and begins to apply it. God alone is both lawgiver. God alone is both lawgiver and law applier. God alone has the right to save and destroy. But the one who is judgmental, listen, has tried to usurp that ruling power and decide instead of God who's guilty and who is innocent, who is righteous and who is unrighteous. You see, slander and judgmentalism is the effort, friends, listen, it's the crux of his argument. It's the effort to remove God as a supreme lawgiver and judge and instead rule in his place. Friends, slander is one of the most vicious sins in the church. Well, Pastor Tim, you can't rank sin. Let me tell you, all sin put Christ on the cross. But not all sin has the, the same far-reaching destructive potential. Slander is vicious. And it's an attack not only to the person, not only to the law of God, but to the lawgiver. Friends, we cannot know perfectly what is in the other person's heart. We do not see the one we judge with the same love and the same willingness to grant mercy that God has shown to us. This is what we do when we are judgmental. Why is slander so wrong and why is it so deadly to redemptive community? Why is it so destructive to the church? Because, listen, it is judgmentalism and a person who is a judgmental person has set themselves up as higher than the other person, more righteous than the other person, and has picked up the gavel to pronounce their guilt. And when we do this, we sit in judgment of his law, and we mean, which means we suspend to ourselves the need to love our neighbors ourselves instead become their judge. And, and friends, listen, even more extensive, we sit in judgment over God himself usurping his sole right to judge. Slander is an atrocious and serious sin. And there is a need for us to become discerning and constructively critical with one another. But slander, my friends, is pride in action. And it comes out through our tongues as we find fault and speak ill of each other. Matthew 12 is a word to say to us, but I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. 
Let me close with this. Slander's serious. It breaks peace in relationships. It disrupts peace in community. Friends, let me ask you, please listen. I don't know if you slander. I don't know if you've slandered this last week. I know we all slander. I know that mirror of God's word was staring back at me this week, revealing in my heart. But listen, before you pack away your Bibles and your notes, would you listen to these questions? And here it is. Does your mouth, does your speech, do your words betray an attitude of judgmentalism? Do your ears perk up when gossip is whispered your way? Do you need to sit in front of the polished mirrors of God's word and grieve, mourn, and wail over the destructiveness of your speech? And after sitting there, humble yourselves before the Lord by laying down the gavel, coming off the judge's seat instead to worship God and love your neighbor. Do you have a problem with slandering? Do you remember that the theme and the purpose in James is to move us toward maturity and that maturity for James means a faith that is robust, that produces a life that is righteous? We're in trouble when our faith doesn't produce righteous acts and we're in trouble when we think we can do righteous acts without faith. That's double-mindedness and James is making us single-minded. That's the purpose of his letter. And friends, putting a stop to slander is a movement toward a faith that lives. Amen? This is a hard sermon. I'm going to close with this. And I hope that the, you receive this well. I think this is the most destructive sin in the church. Or at least one of the top few. I don't think there's a week that goes by that I don't hear somebody putting another person down within our church, whether it's through phone calls, conversations, or emails. We are great at being judges, aren't we? It's a well-practiced role. But it's not one that suits us well. The gavel doesn't fit in our hands. Friends, there might be a repentance needed from you, as there is from me quite frequently. And I'm encouraging you to be humble enough to do that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for James. Lord, I am so weary sometimes of that axe. It just keeps splitting and splitting. But it produces a righteous response when I respond in humility. And Lord, as I studied this all throughout the week and I kept looking at my own heart and I kept examining what was coming out of my mouth. Lord, the realization that I am not beyond the need for this sermon. Lord, I want to pray for my brothers and my sisters. Lord, for many in here that might struggle with slander and speaking ill of another, fault-finding and critical whether that comes out in their marriage, their family, their church, their job, their neighborhood, their schools. Lord, I pray that you would finally open their eyes to see how extensive this sin is. And Lord, lead them to humility and to worship. 
and to love. Pray for that, and I ask for your help in that. In Jesus' name, amen.